0: Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation, and manufacturing. A DFA manufacturing media production. Safety engineering and manufacturing, part two. Brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission, and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com.
1: thank you um mark I, I i see that your your colleague david has uh, has put in um uh, a link to a to an infographic on 10 steps to cyber security which i i wondered if you might just like to quickly summarize uh what what that has to say um and also reflect on the conflict between the need to segregate and the need to communicate you know i mean i know that um for example, control techniques latest drive. You, you've you got um, you've got an app that you can program it. You know f- through near field communication, and without needing to go into the uh, you know security issues of that, which I don't think are particularly great. It's an example of how we need to communicate rather than segregate. So, it, is there a is there like a conflict there that that we we kind of need to address?
2: Yeah, and. Um... <laughs> It was mentioned earlier, you know, and a key thing is why why is there a need to do this? And as, as Aral mentioned, because people want there's a thirst for this level of automation and the benefits of this. But, you know, why are we doing this? And, you know, what, what is the risk to an organisation by, by having this approach? And, you know, doing that risk assessment, that risk analysis, it's, you know, we're all on here today to talk about functional safety. So that's really at the root of everything. So you know we look at things at oitner what's the risk let's evaluate the risk and, and make make steps from there so that when you look at that that model uh, the 10 steps you know one of the big steps is is risk management you know look at that risk what's the uh, a, a risk to your data what's the risk of not doing that you know or, or doing it correctly <clears throat> but then you know how do you keep that data secure a lot of the stuff now is posted on the cloud um, do we consider what data that we we actually um, generate and where does that go you know and i think when we're looking at putting everything onto this common network and um, we have to as ian mentioned we have to separate the safety because it is you know there's a risk to to life and to to people's health and safety there that you know where does this data go do we know do we have control of all these all of the data points so you know that that 10 point model is is really worthwhile considering when you're looking at making these steps down this down this pathway
1: okay we've got a couple more questions um uh, come in um and one of them is very much central to this argument so we'll take that first and we'll just circulate our speakers and then we've got another one that's coming about wireless safety so i'm going to pass that to ian uh sec- and then lead into his presentation um, so, so the first question, and we'll we'll ask everybody's view, and it's where does IT and OT split, if at all? And it says, for example, we're implementing a new OT network. IT are taking an interest in everything with a, an IP address and PLC drives, etc. And his view uh, is that maybe IT should not come beyond the DMZ. Do do we think that's a reasonable strategy? Um, let me ask Luke first and then we'll go around.
3: Yeah, okay, thanks for that. I mean, here's the thing, it's a risk assessment. At your machine, we need to provide a security risk assessment as well as a safety risk assessment. And so why would we uh, put our hands over our ears and exclude voices in that risk assessment? Let's, let's bring everyone into the fold. IT, we, uh, security, uh, we, we can learn a lot from them in the OT sector. And equally, um, we could be informing them about our machines, our technologies, and they might learn something. Um, quite recently, and it, this is a research-only project, um, but uh, some researchers have turned a PLC into a, uh, a Trojan, into an, an attack vector, they've put some malware on the the PLC and they've tricked engineers into coming and connecting to the PLC by doing fake alarms. So you want to see what the alarm is, the engineer connects to that PLC and at that point, the engineer's PC is infected. That engineer's PC is also connected via wireless to the IT infrastructure. So if IT were not... Um, involved in the conversation of that risk assessment they would be unknown to them that this was a possible attack, attack route into their system and it might actually be the intention of the attackers to access the IT system and not the OT system and they're using the OT because it is not secure because a thorough risk assessment hadn't been performed with the associated mitigations so I, I think from from my point of view bring them in let's get a proper conversation on the table as to well this is what our systems look like these are the type of devices we're in what can we learn what would be possible risks to us as a business because that's fundamentally where we're going we want to from a functional safety point of view we care about the human life but but at the bottom line it's we're protecting the business and we're protecting the business from yeah, cost think, and yeah, lot of thank, life
1: thank you Luke I think that's, that's a very good point Mark would you agree with that bring everybody in and uh,
2: everybody talks about the issue So just, just a quick one I think um, just to answer uh, Alex's question as well IT need to be involved in all of these conversations because you know we hear instances of you know, there was a particular heavy industry uh, incident that we were aware of where they put their own 5G broadband router, uh, at the side of the automation to gain remote access, you know, and the IT layer was completely unaware of this, this connection point. So, you know, it's vital that the IT teams are on the same level as the OT teams, because there is no split, you know, it's, it's all ethernet, and that's how people perceive it. So. Um, bringing those IT teams into the OT technology uh, discussions for, is is a is a real vital step forward because people will put those devices in place to make their connection easier or, or whatever it is that they're struggling with. And if that's under the radar, that's a potential threat and risk to that organisation.
1: Yeah, um, or, or just a comment from you on that as well. And and is there a is there a cultural difficulty between bringing together IT and OT teams, or um, or should it be uh, should it be a very straightforward thing to do?
4: There, there is so, but it depends on the company. So we, I had a, a lot of conversations with customers, OT, and um, sometimes IT. Most of the time, we talk to OT, but IT as well, and. I can, I can uh, um, state what, what Mark said is, is true. I, I saw OT people adding LTE routers to get remote access to their machines without, without um, involving IT at all. Actually, intentionally not involving IT. And that, that would be my first reply. If you, if you try to promote a hard cut between IT and OT, you will see strange things over time. And those are not good things. So I'm, I'm absolutely with, with Luke and Mark, they have to talk. They should talk. And it may be, it may, may feel uncomfortable uh, at first, but over time, uh, you know, talking always helps. So that, they will get along. And it's something you have to overcome. And looking at this question now, if today the requirements are not that any part of this um, OT network needs to have remote access or needs to, have uh, additional services and, and, for instance, automatic firmware updates just for uh, security patches. What I see in this question is was or not, but will this be the same requirement in five to ten years? I don't think so, and that is something that is a change of mind. Um, it, it may be perfectly fine even if you talk with IT and OT, if they talk They may come to the conclusion that the OT network does not need any kind of Internet access or anything else so separate it, put it in a DMC and good is. You're good to go for today, but will that be the infrastructure that that will be requested in five to 10 years i'm not sure, so I I recommend to at least. um, Look at what's coming and, and prepare a little bit for the upcoming years. Thank you. Can, right, I, can, I, can I just yes, like, do do Aaron, please.
5: A quick question. Um, do you think this is to everyone, I suppose? Um, do you think that they, when you look at IT and OT, that the actual problem regarding um, cybersecurity as uh, as an issue is actually not understood by either? Um, that within many facilities, uh, the IT departments and uh, don't actually have a sufficient understanding of cyber security. I was speaking with a cyber security expert uh, about a couple of months ago, and he said that when he went into companies to sort out their issues, when he spoke to the it they had they had a very basic understanding. This was from a quite a large company. Um, so you, you do wonder whether the actual knowledge within organizations that maybe they need to to actually outsource or to have cyber security experts <coughs> in addition to, the running alongside the
2: ITOT. That's a great Who point. Who wants to Aaron? handle that one? Yeah, yeah. On. I think that's a great point, Aaron. And, you know, depending on, I guess, the nature of the business that the IT are involved in, they may or may not be aware. I actually imagine they're very aware in the banking industry. Um, but when you get into more de- uh, um, industrial environments, then to answer your question, I don't believe they are. You know, I did a lot of work previously with cybersecurity uh, prior to join, joining Eugner. Um, and just education, the simple things, passing USB sticks around the office and the way that bugs and, uh, and viruses can get into the system. But also, you know, getting those IT teams to be really aware of OT systems, because what's the impact if it takes 500 milliseconds for me to send a Word document from my desktop to another desktop? But if you're looking at an industrial network and these things are connected that way, it can have a real impact if you hit an emergency stop and it takes two seconds for the machine to stop because there's there's a bug or a virus in the system, you know, that can, that can have a real um, impact on, on, on health and safety and life. So uh, there is a lot more work to be done, in my view, um, within the IT um, side around cybersecurity. Anyone I else think, want to comment on yeah, that this
3: point? I think we can learn, basically, in the functional safety worlds, When we're talking about derivatives from uh, IECs, 61508, something like that, where the framework demands competent team members, competent persons. Now, the standard, which, again, functional safety is really bridged, um, underpinning on this standard, um, also highlights a security risk assessment should be performed um, if if it's deemed that it's required well i think now we should just say yes it should be performed whether there's any outcomes that you have to mitigate or something else so we we at the ot layer we have this sort of structure in place where we have competent people and if they're not competent we get competent people or we train them to be competent in the it i'm not saying they're incompetent but they might be not as competent in dealing with the scenarios that the OT network offers. And so what we really need to do is build that secure team, that cybersecurity team who are going to look at the IT and OT and run a competence assessment on those members and make sure we've got competence within that team. And if we haven't, we do have to outsource it. Why, Why would we not go and seek advice if we if we need it
5: well i suppose i suppose one of the one of the quest one of the um, the reasons was that the it they had a lot of kickback from the it department who said oh you know don't you don't you think we we know what we're talking about that kind of that that's the unfortunately it's human nature uh, yeah. It, yeah you you are going to get that um mm-hmm. in some companies that that type of response and it's how you how they can work together uh, i suppose how you how you overcome that to for the greater good
3: um, yeah, and that is where um, the, there's parallels here to the, the medical industry, you know, to, to doctors who are put on a pinnacle as being authoritarians. They know what they're talking about. They're doctors. You know, they're going to make me right. And they are human. And so uh, one doctor is not the same as another doctor, but collectively you put them together and just worry about, are we doing the right thing? They'll probably come up with what they know at that point to be the best solution. And so we shouldn't, we should get out of this culture of, of course I know what I'm on about, that's my job, and more get into the point of view of what's the risks, you know, do we know enough? If we don't, let's go find out, let's get, pull people in who can help us and worry about the mitigations. And it's that process and building a culture of cybersecurity is embedded in what we do to protect our business that we have to develop over the next you know, five, 10 years.
4: And, um, um, the simplest assessment that you can run today is, do I have somebody who feels responsible for security at all, being it an ITO or OT? So of course there are, there are definitely companies that that have IT stuff, but none of them is really feeling responsible for security. and. The, 62443, for instance, if, if you really want to uh, approve your company or products um, certify against um, that standard, there's one thing that, that you need at least to have one uh, assigned security officer who is, usually it's, it's not mandatory, but would sit in your quality team. And if, if you don't have that at all, whether in IT or OT, yeah, it's, it's time to think about it and then uh, pull in people, as Luke said, and, and um, get some co- consultants in and um, try to get that knowledge and awareness for security. So that is, that is potentially the first step where many companies are right now sitting it.
0: This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission, and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com.
5: Do you think that's why um, the uh, the finance sector is so successful at cyber um, attack prevention? Is that they've, that they have taken it that one step further, whereas perhaps in the industrial environment, uh, because obviously it's money that they uh, they have they've ensured that that this is not going to be a problem, whereas perhaps the, um, the industrial sector hasn't gone down that route.
6: I think there, Aaron is is an interesting point that um, OT and IT are are traditionally governed by two different parts of an IT organisation. And only recently have I seen OT managers jobs who would normally report into, um, you know, the chief IT officer within a business. The The thing really that I think we're all overlooking there is we're thinking big. So, you know, if it's a large canning plant or a, Um, an aggregate plant with a big huge great conveyor belt you know those kind of places are going to be nearer the replication of a kind of structure within the IT and OT uh, functionality to be able to put that together and employ someone specifically to look after their OT equipment whereas if it's a small business with maybe two or three machines you know it's quite possible that there might be one guy who's an expert but he's an expert at ip addressing computers or running a virus scan or updating microsoft but not necessarily an expert on ot Mm -hmm. so i think what we need to look at going forward is yes for those big companies it's not going to be a problem but for the lower the middle even the middle end you know the middle and smaller uh, enterprises how do we deal with those guys because they won't be able to afford an expertise of an OT officer to look at integration with IT and demarcation and segregation, but they will be subject to the same issues of cyber attack. Um, So, you know, maybe there is a standard or something that needs to be done further down the line to cope with those kind of installation where they're a lot smaller. Okay, I, I think in the interest of time, it's probably now
1: uh, opportune to move to Ian's presentation. And uh, I'll throw him a curveball as well, which is um, perhaps he can include some discussion about um, uh, one of the questions we've had in, which is that there is a large pool from industry to have wireless safety. And currently, there's lots of research going into this. So if you can take that into your presentation and then
6: we'll we'll have a quick discussion about that point okay yeah so um our, I, thanks very much <laughs> thanks Andy so uh, I um decided to uh field my synopsis based on um I was appearing at the drives and control show so my stands behind me you can see that um we had ever such a lot of customers uh new customers um colleagues um Machine manufacturers come and ask me, um, we didn't know that you did wireless safety. Um, so I, I chose the, the subject to discuss today because of that. So, you know, there is a large pool from industry to have wireless safety. We've been doing it for a couple of years. Um, but nobody knows we've been doing it for a couple of years. Now, our wireless safety has been um, developed with initially specific requirements um, used as, as the foundation um but we found that we don't because we don't use um, any known protocols um, the bespoke protocols in our in our wireless safety it, it's almost impossible to hack the only part you can hack really is feeding in feeding out um so we, we use um, Ethernet and Profibus, and we can connect a, a whole range of different um, products, but they're pretty much just for um, reporting. So the, the functional part of the safety is secure, 433 megahertz, no cables, 800 meters. So, you know, in, in most installation, you can't run safety 800 meters. And and you know you need to have a a field kind of um, a survey first to make sure that there's no reinforcing rods within within concrete and that fifteen levels of racking don't don't cut the um, the functionality out. But wireless safety does already exist. Um, we sell a lot of it in the UK, uh, but I, th- I think probably. If you look at our our competitors, um, it's it's a lead on to um, using Ethernet, which I I don't think we should because, like I said earlier, it has got a lot of holes. So one way to stop um, the hacking is to not allow people to have access to it by not telling them the protocol that is running on. pretty much now. Um, the type of products that I've looked at from from other people tend to use a lot of converters um, to to go between um, one particular format to another. Um, so they're not necessarily wireless; they're they're wired using a, a non-safe wireless link. Um, there was there was we spoke. I think Luke spoke earlier about um, the, the time it takes for something to get from A to B. It might be new, Mark. I can't remember. Um, in all of our wireless safety, we fail safe. So, in in the event that the signal disappears or um, somebody tries to flood the area um, with with uh, uh, 433 megahertz being louder um, than the transmitter or the receiver, um, the devices that are being controlled by a group controller just simply turn themselves off until that that uh, interference has uh, gone away and then you just restart the whole process again um and 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 the products in which I'm talking about are already in use in places like Ocado and amazon to run their big robotic um, automated picking machines you know the the uh, the agvs um that's pretty much the, the level of inquiries I get all the time, you know, machines that transfer batteries from, from, from a flat one to a full one, all completely automated. So, you know, I, th- I think if you look at the kind of environments that we're being used in, um, they're very rough environments. So, so you want to be able to stop locally. You want to be able to stop remotely. Um, but not only stop. There is um, because we have a secure two-way, uh, two-channel um, wireless event occurring. Um, it's only a very small step to go from right to left with just um, general signals. Um, you know, so they don't have to be safe. Um, one of the products I'm thinking of has eight channels, so not only can you st- stop when required from both ends. You can also indicate when something's running out of fuel or the water level's low or the temperature in which it's operating is not to the peak function. Um, And and all of that stuff, of course, at both ends, can then be relayed via whichever bus you choose and into your PLC. Um, I think, really, the the best way to, to um, try and envisage it as well, is we, we had a project with a blast freezer. Massive, massive blast freezer where a man was able to go inside. Um, and that environment, because it went down to minus 50, wouldn't handle any e-stop. You press an e-stop and it breaks into a million bits. The cable behind is too brittle. Um, the way we solved that was a, a wireless e-stop. Much the same looking as um, the function you would have for a crane with up, down, right, left, et cetera. Um, but but the, the men going onto the site lifted the e-stop out of the cradle, took it with them in their hand. And obviously, the ambient temperature, it's not been down that low. If there's an issue and something runs and they need to stop it, they've got it in their hand, they press a button, and it stops. Um, I think functional wireless safety under the right environment is definitely the way that the industry is going um yes excellent
1: (laughs) thank you ian and um and that's a really interesting discussion point which i think in the interest of time i'd like to take mark's presentation next and then we can come back to a general discussion on uh wireless safety issues and then leading into um if we have any time left the relationship between safety and security which is uh, Sort of quite a philosophical area i guess so so in in that context if i could ask mark now to talk on um his points of the emerging trends of machinery safety which which may well include some rela- uh, uh, mention of wireless um and how to integrate technology into both new
2: and legacy assets Yeah, thanks, Andy. So my name's Mark Staples. I work for Eichner. Uh, We're a machine safety specialist, um, German-based machine safety specialist. Um, So I'm I'm here to talk today really about how we can embrace new technology, and I think it's a great discussion piece around uh, the connectivity of devices, more networking, more need for automation, but then the risks and challenges that that brings, uh, particularly with cyber security. So I'm going to bring that down to a level, but then reach up slightly uh, as I go along. So um, so we, we see uh, in Eichner, um a real trend to go towards more networking of devices. So we've already mentioned networking uh, um, protocols such as EtherCAT, um, Profinet and Ethernet IP, but we see a real um, thirst for those um, non-safety um, networks such as IO-Link that can bring real key data out of our safety devices from an operational point of view um, alongside the safety uh, functions as well so how many times a product's been operated um, how hot is the product so what temperature is it running at you know what serial number and then even things like you know the actuator um, uh, information um, regarding the switch Um, and all of that technology uh, really is, is pulled together with with a lot of RFID um, devices. So that non-contact, that um, actuator paired to the switch um, is is almost commonplace now. And and Oitner are, are really in a good place to, 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 to look at that type of approaches because we pioneered RFID technology into safety devices back in 1998. So we've got a lot of history and knowledge and experience of doing that. So. Um, and, and when we look at some of the solutions today, particularly in certain industries where uh, lockout, tagout um, is widely used, and that's, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good initiative and it's a great technology, but does it lend itself really to, to today's environment? And when we talk about today's environment, we're talking about those short-term interventions where people are motivated to uh, either abuse or circumnavigate Lockout tagout type technologies, or not even use it at all, because the need to just quickly wipe a uh, surface down, or to straighten a piece of work up, um, the time taken to put your padlocks on, and then going back to the main isolator in the in the panel, um, often often makes people um, not put those those lockout tagout procedures in place. So, what we're looking at now is is overlaying that with some. <laughs> RFID technology with with an RFID key, which is used in conjunction with um, safety devices, to give a safer environment for those short-term interventions uh, that complement other safety functions on the machine. So rather than having to go and get a padlock and isolate, you put your key into a reader, which is something like this. So you pop your key into the reader, And uh, the control on the machine can be done in a safe manner or even using in conjunction with two, you might take the main one out to stop the machine, but then put it into another RFID uh, reader within the machine for an operation to be done at at a safe speed because it might not necessarily be wise to remove all sources of energy, even though the standards do say so. So we might need some maintenance operation that needs some power or some creep speed. So, um, you know, when we look at emerging technologies um, those types of technologies really are are, are something that we embrace but the dilemma is how do you introduce those into old machines you know um, it's quite an investment often there's a new uh, control system required um, but you know that that does cause a dilemma but there was a key point made earlier about that risk assessment you know the need to why should we do this and why do we need to do this so we take it back what what's the issue? Are people uh, motivating them, or, or is there a motivation to defeat these interlocks? Is out, tag out the right type of technology for this type of intervention? Um, a way forwards. Now on on new machines, um, that's that's I guess relatively simple. Um, Martin, uh, there was a chuckle. Martin Kidman in the chat that made reference to a very good technical report two to one hundred, which looks at. Um, Gives guidance to manufacturers of new machines when they're looking at putting connected uh, or networkable products on there, and it looks at cyber security. But the key thing there is is that that's used in relationship with with the risk assessment process under twelve one hundred. So, you know, new machines, it's easy to do. Let's let's use that um, those approaches um, and the standards that are there. Um, but there are some real benefits to be had by having this new technology. Um, right keeping people safe because if something becomes a real burden to do then it will motivate people to to not put those measures in place and not put the padlocks in place and and it's um it's putting people at risk um so you know from emerging emerging trend and technology there's a real opportunity now to to utilize more of this technology because we can sit um the rfid device um which is ideal for short-term interventions or um gives a level of uh go-no-go no go type operation on a network, you know, so we can sit that as a device on a on a, a profit network um, in conjunction with other networkable devices. So we've got control, but we've also got the data. Um, and we can use that data in a really positive way. You know, why is someone um opening and closing or having access to that particular part of the of the machine on, on such a frequent basis? So that data can be can be used in a, in a real proactive way um, on the other side. So um, we see a lot of this, this stuff going on. Uh, we've got lots of discussions going on at the moment with various customers about these RFID type um, key and pocket systems, uh, as they're often referred to. Um, and we think it's a real, a real technology change and a real benefit going forwards. Thank you very much, Mark.
0: This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission, and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps, follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.